Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to our show tonight. I'm your host, Doris Hansen, and we are grateful that you've decided to share part of your evening with us tonight. I'd like to mention right off the bat that tonight's show has been pre-recorded so that we can have plenty of time to cover all the information that we have prepared for our discussion. And that, of course, means that we will not have any telephone call time as we normally do. But if you do have questions or comments as a result of tonight's discussion, you can email them to us at tv at aboutpolygamy.com. And we also need to state our disclaimer tonight before we get started because we will be talking about both Mormon and polygamy doctrinal concerns as we compare them with biblical truths. Now, we do realize that Mormons don't like to be lumped in, as it were, with the polygamists. But you also must realize that the polygamists are often offended when they're categorized with the Mormons. The polygamists know that it's the LDS church that's in a Apostasy. It is them, they, who have strayed from orthodox Joseph Smith's teachings. Polygamists are well aware that polygamy was taught as a requirement for eternal life and that the United Order was part of Joseph Smith and Brigham Young's vision for the Mormon kingdom. The polygamy groups have succeeded in those areas where the Mormon church has either compromised or failed. Tonight's guest is a former Mormon and high priest in the Order of Melchizedek. He has been on our show before. He and, he and his wife Lynn have also been our guests together on the show and we always enjoy having them here. We have much to discuss so we want to get on with it. We introduce and welcome once again our guest Michael Wilder. Thank you, Doris. It's good to be here again. I hope I don't get into too much trouble tonight. <laughs> well, I hope you don't too. <laughs> um, you and your your wife Lynn uh, have what were once Mormons, and you know we've we've had you on the show several times in the past. And you have left the Mormon Church, but you've also written a book about why you left the Mormon Church. Actually, it's called that, isn't it? Seven Reasons We Left Mormonism. Um, would you tell our viewers why you wrote the book and where, where uh, our viewers can get a copy of it? There it is on the screen. Well, we um, wrote the book to really make it on some simple, basic points of why we left the LDS Church. And again, the fact is that we never left the LDS Church because we were offended. We never left the LDS Church because we committed some great, terrible sin. We left the LDS Church because we saw eventually, over a period of time, a conflict between pure Christian doctrine, you know, uh, biblical Christianity, mm -hmm. and the uh, Mormon Church. Mm -hmm. And so we got to a point where we just said, hey, you know, we can't agree with these. So we decided to write this book, uh, Seven Reasons Why We Left Mormonism. Mm -hmm. And it can be, uh, you can go to two places to, to get this book. Uh, one, you can go to um, uh, jashow.org, that's uh, John Ankerberg's website. Uh, he has this uh, book there, and you can just go on and make a donation, and you can get this book. It's like a 100-page book. It's not a real long book. It's a quick read. And we state uh, Mormon concepts, 
and biblical concepts. You can also email me at uh, Michael at um, ExMormonChristiansUnited.com um, and I will also try to send you something, but probably the fastest way to get it is to go to jashow.org, the John Ankerberg. I have site. a faster way to get it. Oh, okay. You wanted to give away 10 books to uh, anybody, yes. ex-Mormon or polygamist or Mormon or polygamist who was interested in reading it. Right, right. So I guess if they call the show sometime or write in. Or email you, us for it. You can we'll send them the book. And the again, ten books. it's just a basic little book here. Um, so ten the, first, reasons. the first 10 people who ask for it, we'll just send it to them for free. Yeah, not 10 reasons, but seven reasons. Seven reasons. <laughs> 10 people, seven reasons, right? Okay, <laughs> well, you know, the first part of our show, we decided that we'd discuss portions of your book, um, especially that which applies to the polygamous communities as well as to the LDS communities. Uh, in the introduction of your book on page 11, you used the phrase, it was the battle of doctrines that caused us to choose the biblical Jesus. I love that phrase, the battle of doctrines, because that's what it is. And so we're going to take a look at some of the doctrines that you battled as you and your wife chose the, the truth through Jesus Christ. Um, so let's start with chapter 1. And you entitled it, The Book of Mormon is the most correct of any book on earth, including the Bible. That's your first chapter. It's a good place to start. Extra biblical literature, or scripture should always be a red flag for anyone who's searching for a religion because in God's eyes, there's no extra biblical literature allowed. What's the evidence for the Mormon belief that the Book of Mormon is correct and that the Bible is not trustworthy? Well, uh, the fact is, you know, when, when I joined the LDS church back in 1977, I knew enough about the Bible to be dangerous. So when they talked about additional scriptures, it seemed reasonable. And, you know, the story of these golden plates and Joseph Smith translated these golden plates directly from God, boy, that's, that's a direct line. So mm -hmm. this must be reliable. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they, you know, you have the golden plates and, and you just kind of accept that as as a fact. There's no really empirical evidence that backs right. it up, but right. you just take it as fact. <clears throat> and, and you know, it kind of sounded neat at that time. You know, it wasn't written in Hebrew. It wasn't written in Russian, but Reformed Egyptian. Yeah. So that sounded yeah. really important to yeah. me back when, when I joined the church. <laughs> Reformed Egyptian. Wow, this, wow. this must be true. And so we started the process where we kind of were misled. And, and as you read chapter one, you'll get into more concepts of why, why we really uh, uh, did, did leave. Uh, and and the, your research into, into right. the, the biblical right. scripture and the Mormon scripture. Right. And on page 16, you state that twice Jesus failed to establish his church for any length of time. I hadn't thought of it like that before. Once in Israel, he failed, according to Mormonism. And then once again in the Americas, he failed. And so only Joseph Smith was able to restore what Jesus Christ himself was unable to do. Yes, when you really stop and think about it, you know, Christ started the church and then uh, the LDS church taught that a hundred years later or so, all the doctrine got changed, all the, the priesthood was taken away from the earth and so forth. Mm -hmm. So it failed in Judea, okay, but then Christ went to the Americas also when he was here mm -hmm. and he started a church there and it actually lasted longer there. It went all the way up to about 400 A.D., Okay, okay. Um, before okay. it was uh, removed. But again, he started two different places and it failed. And he failed. Jesus right. failed. Basically what it amounts to. So now it comes back to the concept Joseph Smith. 
You know, what did Joseph Smith do? If Jesus failed twice, according to their doctrine, if he failed twice, how could they trust him for salvation? Well, you know... Why, why would they trust someone who failed? Uh, you, you would think that, but you said, well, you know, it was all part of a plan. But, but it really is not. I mean, the Bible was established. Christ established his church. And it says, you know, in the scriptures in Matthew, it says, you know, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. Right. And, you know, I, I go back and I, I looked this up um, when, if, if I read this passage when I was investigating in a Mormon church, I probably would not have joined. And, but this is what Joseph Smith said. He stated this, uh, and this comes from um, uh, the, uh, the history of the church, um, Volume 6, page 408 through 409, he stated this, quote from Joseph Smith, I have more to boast of than any man had. I am the only man that has, has been able to keep the whole church together since the days of Adam. Neither Paul, Peter, nor Jesus ever did it. I boast that no man ever did such a work as I. And I just think about it, says, Wow. You know, you, you go back and you read in uh, Galatians, uh, I think, verse six, uh, chapter 6, verse 14, Paul states, you know, uh, you only really have one thing to boast in, and mm -hmm. that's of the cross or mm -hmm. of Jesus. Jesus. Don't boast right. of anything else. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. But here Joseph Smith is saying, well, you know, Jesus failed once, he failed twice, but I'm restoring the church, and I never have failed. So Out I, of his own I words here. I can boast here. how great I am because yes. I've done that. And, yeah. and again, I, when I originally saw this and heard about this verse, uh, I actually went to my church history set that I owned that I bought many, many years ago. Mm -hmm. And I said, this has to be out. This can't be right. And I opened it up and it was there. In fact, it's, when you read everything, it's even worse than what it sounds here. Right. And so right. I was totally shocked. Yeah, it is shocking. First time I read it, I, I also was very shocked that Joseph Smith would, that, that he wouldn't be afraid of God's, you know, <laughs> to, to say such a thing at such a time like that. Now, you, back to the golden plates, the original source, of course, for the Book of Mormon is the gold plates, and, and yet there's no record, there's no hint that they ever even existed. Right. At one time, you were told um, that the Mayan ruins are the, are the geographical location, or maybe, you know, theoretically, the geographical locations of the Book of Mormon, uh, geography, and there's a lot of theories, and now they're even saying that that narrow neck of land down south, south of California, the Baja, right. may be the, the, right. the lands. Yeah, the, the, the problem is that when, when we were investigating the church, they used to have these John West tapes, and they, we went back and talked about that all the uh, structures in Miserable America, Central America, that those were the Book of Mormon people. Well, I'm not a scholar. I didn't know that this was in the wrong time period. Uh -huh. And this came yeah. much later after the Book of Mormon. Yeah. And so, you know, it's a, so you, you kind of start thinking, well, when you're investigating, it sounds impressive. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we used to go to the Hill Cumorra, and I always thought that the great battle occurred at the Hill Cumorra in New York. Yeah. And now that's some reason, some ways moved, you know, down to Mesoamerica. And so uh, when I joined the churches in New York, when I left the church, in some way got moved down to Central America. So uh, it keeps morphing. It keeps and so, you know, where is the Book of Mormon lands? Uh, is, it, is it in the, uh, around Michigan, the Great Lakes? Is it northeastern uh, United States? Is it the peninsula you talked about, Baja? Mm -hmm. uh, is it down in Mesoamerica? <clears throat> 
Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, when I used to be in the bishopric, when we had ward conference, we would sustain the uh, prophet and the apostles as prophets, seers, and revelators. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really interesting that you think, well, since these men of God are prophets, seers, and revelators, they could put out a statement that says, this is where it is. And so we could clear this up. Mm -hmm. So people won't be... Um, like me, be uh, confused about where these lands are. And you know, <clears throat> pardon me, one way that, you know, the book, the, the, the Mormon church claims that they are the only ones with the keys and that they only have the true prophet and the true church. Every polygamy group claims the same things. They have the keys and they only have, they alone have the true church. Why doesn't one of the prophets of one of these groups come out with, why doesn't God tell them where the Book of Mormon lands are? And that would prove who the true prophet is if they came out and told us. And then we would know whether it was the Mormon church or the Kingston group or the FLDS, which one really is the true one. They'd have the truth. You know, it, it, would, it would really make it a lot easier yeah. and people would understand. You know, I had a chance, uh, uh, God blessed us with, uh, my wife and I had a chance to go to Israel this last June. Uh -huh. And, you know, I went there and I got to see the places yes. where Jesus walked, yeah. where he talked. I got to see places in the Old Testament. I went, I got to go to see the, the city of Jericho. Yeah. I got there. I went to the ancient city of Shechem. I got to see where Jacob's well was, where uh -huh. Jesus spoke to the Samaritan lady. And it's there. I got to see the tomb of Joseph. I got to go see the Dead Sea, the Sea of Galilee. In all these places, the Temple Mount, and it's all there. You couldn't step on a place that didn't have some historical value and there. And it's not theoretical. It's, it is a for sure right. and you know, geographic. You know, I, I went back to my LDS Bible, and you go to it, and my goodness, there's all these great maps of places that I visited, of Christ, where Christ was, mm -hmm. where the Old Testament was, where mm -hmm. the Old Test, uh, New Testament is. It's all empirical evidence before us. And... So you pick up the Book of Mormon and say, okay, uh, we got this great story here. Uh, so you flip back to the back and you're looking for these maps. And there's no maps. There are, there, no, there maps are no maps here uh, that even indicate, you know, right. where is the where city is, Zarahemla? Yeah, exactly. Where is it? And where, where did all these special things happen? Yeah. So it's okay yeah. to go in faith. But not blind faith. Not, you know, God never should, it, asks you know, us for blind he faith. He never asks. He, 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 he says to prove everything. And how would he say to prove everything if there wasn't proof out there for us to check? Right, right. Proof for everything. Okay, let's go on to chapter two. We could talk forever on just one chapter. Your book is good. And it talks about ongoing revelation, which we've already kind of touched on a little bit already. We talked about the Book of Mormon lands and, and that revelation is an ongoing process in the, the Mormon religion. This goes for the polygamy groups as well as for the Mormon church. But if revelation were an ongoing process, first of all, there have been no revelations of late for, for many, many decades. And why, if their revelation's an ongoing process, why do they need Mormon apologists? Well, you know, again, it comes back to us. We have the people at fairs and farms, and, and they're, they're wonderful people. They mean well, mm -hmm. okay? Yeah, they're doing and, their job. And, and the people in the LDS church, they mean well. This is nothing against the Mormon people. I have many friends who are LDS. I have, you know, I work with people all the time that are LDS. I love the people. 
It's the problem is the doctrine. It just keeps morphing and changing. Mm -hmm. And I saw this over a period of 30 years I was in the church. And, you know, these revelations come and go. When, when Lynn and I uh, joined the Mormon church, uh, just days, maybe even a day before we were to be baptized, we found out that blacks could not hold the priesthood. And I was shocked. Hmm. I was just totally shocked. And it didn't come from the Mormon missionaries. It was somebody put some information in the university where I was working, teaching, mm -hmm. and they put it in my box and it said something about blacks can't have the priesthood in right, the Mormon church. Yeah. And I was totally shocked. And I went to land and I said, what do you think? And I said, you know, we're so far along and we felt so good about so many things. It's all about feelings. Yeah. And here was some evidence that said, you know, that if I knew the Bible, I realized that that couldn't have been true, you know, because mm -hmm. in Galatians, Paul states there is neither Jew or uh, a Jew or Gentile, mm -hmm. uh, bond or free, male or female. It, it states that we're all one in Christ. Right, in and Christ. here, the Mormon church at that time when we were joined, going to join the Mormon church in 1977 was putting this restrictions on blacks that they couldn't have the priesthood. Yep, they couldn't go to the temple. It's, it's, they couldn't do all these other things. And they couldn't be taught. A lot of missionaries right. were told they couldn't teach the black people. Right, no, so that, that, that changed a year later. We were pleased. We were wonderful. And we said, oh, thank goodness we have a prophet. But I didn't think deep enough to say, why was it even there in the begin with? Well, even the polygamy groups still have that, that uh, racial racism in their groups. They haven't changed. Well, along with the, the mainstream church uh, changes. The, 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 the Doctrine and Covenants changes the Book of Mormon, and the Living Prophet changes the Doctrine and Covenants. And, and, but the true God doesn't change. His teachings never no, changes. No, it remains no, the same. You know, I mean, in Hebrews uh, 13, it states, you know, God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. These doctrines don't have to keep coming and going. Mm -hmm. And it's just amazing what they have. So you have, you know, polygamy mm -hmm. that was there, you know. And in, in the 1880s, they talk, it would never be taken. It's here forever. And lo and behold, in 1890, Revelation says, well, we're not supposed to have polygamy anymore. Yeah, let's let go of it. Let's okay. not do it. And I really would encourage uh, uh, members to go back and read the manifesto, what it really states. And basically what it states is that if we uh, don't give in this and stop doing polygamy, the U.S. government's going to take over our temples. Mm -hmm. And so they said, well, okay, let's, uh, let's uh, get rid of a polygamy. Yeah. So it wasn't a revelation from God at all. Well, not, not if you read it no, really what it says there. Not if you read there. what it says. And then there's this, uh, I've got a book here, 3,913 Changes in the Book of Mormon. Big, thick book. That where they're, if the Book of Mormon is the most precious or the, the most perfect book on the planet, why did they have to change it? 4,000 times. Well, you know, it's, it's uh, because it was written by man. Not God. It's not God. Because God it was doesn't not change. Breathe. And, God doesn't change. And, you know, the Book of Mormon, again, it's got some great stories. You know, it can really tug on your heart and everything else. But uh, the doctrine's not consistent in it. Mm -mm. Uh, and the Book of Mormon, once we started really searching, we started seeing conflicts between the Book of Mormon, and even Doctrine and Covenants. So you got to get, get to a something. point and you say, and then also with the Bible. So, so, right. so does the Book of Mormon supersede Doctrine and Covenants or does Doctrine and Covenants supersede the Doctrine in the Book of Mormon? 
And uh, so these are questions you have to ask yourself. Uh -huh. that's, and, yeah, and that's you, things that we true, talk about in here. A true seeker will ask themselves and, and truly seek out the answers. Uh, in the Huffington Post just a couple of weeks ago, the LDS Church posted a statement. It, it, this reports that the LDS Church posted a statement on the, their website saying the church does not prohibit the use of caffeine and that the faith's health code reference to hot drinks does not go beyond tea and coffee. And then the next day, the, the website worded, wording was slightly softened saying that only that the church revelation spelling out health practices does not mention the use of caffeine. Now, this is one of the things where we've got progressive doctrine, right? Right. What, do, do, can the, the LDS church drink caffeine? If they couldn't then, why can they now? If they can't now and could then, what, I'm, what's the mishmash with this? Well, you know, it, it, it all ties back to the, the same thing. You, know, you take something like, uh, I'll come back to that in a second, but like the temple ordinance, very, you know, is so sacred to the, the um, LDS people. And, you know, when I went through the temple, it was confusing, but I kept going through and you get indoctrinated in it. I actually worked in the temple behind the veil and used to be the person that did all the stuff there. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, it changes in eight, uh, 1990, okay, mm -hmm. the doctrine. And you kind of say, oh, thank goodness for Revelation. I didn't like those parts anyway. I'm glad they took them out. <laughs> so you kind of justify it. But, you know, if it's Revelation given to Joseph Smith, is it not eternal? It's supposed to be. Right. And then a few years later, in uh, 1995, they changed the Washington anointings because it was very offensive. Yeah. It was offensive uh, when you went through that. So it's not quite as offensive as it used to be. And again, Revelation, it changes. Mm -hmm. But if it's from God, given to Joseph Smith, why does it have to keep changing? Why does it change? So it's like the word right. of wisdom. It was given. And when I joined the Mormon church, and to kind of give you an indication, I was pretty zealous. I was a pretty righteous man. I mean, I was doing all the right things. And it's probably, my son was about uh, six years old, it's been 1985. Uh, I took him to a football game. And um, uh, we get to the football game, and it's, it's, it's halftime, and my son's thirsty, and he wants some water to be able to hold up there. That's before we had bottled water, yeah, okay? Yeah. So we go down, we stand in line, and I'll go through the whole thing and realize the only thing they're selling is Coca-Cola, mm -hmm. okay, in cups like this. Mm. And I said, well, do you have any water? Can I buy some water? No, you can't buy anything. All, we, all we're selling is Coke. And I said, we well, have any Sprite, uh, some without caffeine. No, all we have is Coke. Now, to show you how zealous I was, you know, I didn't say, well, we'll just get the Coke and go to best with it. I said, okay, ma'am, I said, since um, I have to buy a Coke, uh, I will take that Coke there with ice, but hold the Coke. Okay, <laughs> so she looked at me and she had to go to a supervisor to see if she could do this. And I said, well, if he just wants ice and a cup, and uh, no Coke, go ahead. And they charged me full price for it. Mm -hmm. And then I went to the restroom, I filled it up with water. Uh -huh. And then I had water for my son for the uh, second half of the ball so game. So you were very, very I, obedient I was, there. I was pretty zealous uh, yeah. to, to do that. Yeah. And I felt really righteous, uh, you know, to do that. I stood up And you knew God, God was going to bless you for right, it. How right. How did he bless you? Well, you know, uh, I think our team won that afternoon. So, oh, so you know, for being righteous... Uh, <laughs> No, no, seriously, I was really, I really thought I was doing the right thing. And we were taught 
at that point that caffeine was bad for you mm -hmm. and you didn't drink anything with caffeine. You, you know, that's the reason you didn't drink coffee or tea had caffeine mm -hmm. and you didn't drink Coca-Cola products. And you can see all these things yeah. today, Mountain as you Dew, look here, tea? you can see, I mean, this, you know, this um, energy drink is sugar-free, um, but it says caffeine, caffeine. And, and B vitamins on it. Yeah. And now you can drink that and be okay and keep your temple recommend. I had state presidents tell me, and we were instructed when I was in leadership position, you did not drink caffeinated drinks. There was never yeah, anybody yeah. drinking a Coke at a high council meeting. And you know what? This tea right here is forbidden by the LDS Church, premium green tea. Right. Um, and yet it's been proven that it's better for you than Coke. Oh, uh, if, if I went to my doctor who's really into health products, he would say any of these products here would be bad for you except for the tea. Yeah. He said even a cup of coffee a day would be good for yeah, you. Right. But, but, you know, Coke or Pepsi, Diet Coke, all that stuff, Diet Mountain Dew, that's evil. Uh, he wouldn't drink that, uh, yeah. you know, you wouldn't do it. But the wisdom of the Mormon church now states that you can drink these, but you can't have a cup of coffee and a, and a But it was Gordon tea. B. Hinckley in his interview with Larry King, and I have just a few words of that. I want to put it up on the screen. Uh, Hinckley said, the word of wisdom covers many things. It covers the excessive use of meat, as I see it. It covers a very particular way, the use of tobacco and alcohol. And Larry King said, by saying no. And Hinckley said, by saying, by prescribing those things. Larry King, no to caffeine. Hinckley, no to caffeine, coffee, and tea. So he said no, and this progressive revelation means it's okay now. So caffeine used to be bad for you, but now it's good for you. Caffeine in coffee is bad for you, but caffeine in Coke is good for you. What? And, 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 and the Bible that says that not to even judge anybody by what you eat or drink. Right, right. It's um, ridiculous. Brigham Young said in 1867, if a person is weary worn out, cast down, fainting or dying, a brandy sling, a little wine or a cup of tea is good to revive him. Do not throw these things away and say they must never be used. They are good to be used with judgment, prudence and discretion. Ask your bishops if they drink tea every day and in most cases they will tell you that they do if they can get it. Well, that's interesting. 1867. This is after the Word of Wisdom. 1867, Brigham Young. Now, in 1868, George Cannon said, We are told, and very plainly too, that hot drinks, tea, coffee, chocolate, cocoa, and all drinks of this kind are not good for man. And he also said two or three verses later, or paragraphs later, we must not permit them to drink liquor or hot drinks or hot soups hmm. or to use tobacco or other articles that are injurious. And this is Journal of Discourses. Now, I noticed that we must not permit them. So what do they do? Do they have an, a hot soup police force that you can't, we must not permit them to eat hot soup? Well, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's just when you go back and think about it and, and you go back and you look at the journal discourses and now they discredit that. And at one time they said, well, we should have these in every home, uh, these, these lectures, these, uh, uh, these uh, sermons. Mm -hmm. 
And, uh, you know, who's right here? You know, it was Brigham Young right one year and, and, and uh, George Cannon Jordan wrong. Oh, you know, yeah. Brigham Young was the prophet, so I guess he supersedes the other person. But it's interesting, my priesthood line actually comes through George Buchanan. It was the Brigham Young, uh -huh. okay? Uh -huh. Then when, you know, Brigham Young got from Joseph Smith and so forth. Mm -hmm. Then uh, to Cannon and then to Grant, mm -hmm. okay? And then to um, uh, Kimball and then to a person that was my bishop, uh, and then I received it from him. And then you him. received it from them. And so that's George my high Q. Cannon, you can't, can't be discounted that easily. That no, because if he's wrong, then my priesthood line is wrong. It's wrong, and so it would be a lot of other people's priesthood that's line correct. that you would also that's be correct. in it. And Romans fourteen seventeen says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So whether they've got progressive revelation from a so-called living prophet or not, the Bible is, still has the authority. Jesus in Mark chapter 7 proclaimed all things, all foods clean. Right, So right. we, you know, these things are fine. They may not be good for you, but certainly does not uh, upset God well, if we drink Well, you know, if you go to Colossians uh, 2, verses 6, uh, 16 and 17, it says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. Right. They can't judge okay. you. In other words, so if I have a cup of coffee, would, would somebody who's LDS judge me? Well, they would do that. And they would um, judge each other. They, right. They, that's right. part and of the And if you were, question. if you were going to get uh, a temple recommend, mm -hmm. and you're sitting there, and uh, you're sitting there with your stake president, and you say... Um, I pay my tithing, um, you know, I follow the law of chastity, I do all the things that I'm supposed to do, I keep all the covenants I've made in the temple. Now think about that, you keep all the covenants you made in the temple, which you can't because, right. and then you're breaking the Ten Commandments right. because you're you a liar, yeah. but, but you keep all the covenants you made in the, the temple, but uh, 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 President, um, I have one problem, I, I pay my tithing, I give another percent to the poor and the needy. Uh, I work in a homeless shelter. I do my church calling. I do all these great things, but I have a cup of tea once a week. Can I still get my temple recommend? Well, according to the law that they state. If you drink you, coffee, you can't. Or if you had one cup of coffee, you do all these righteous things. You can't, you couldn't get a temple recommend. And, you know, to the credit of the polygamy groups, most of them are not real hard on the word of wisdom like the Mormon church is. Some of them are. It depends on the group. It varies between the groups. But um, they, they seem to be a little more lenient in some areas with that. Of course, it's either all or none. I mean, the, you know, the, either the Bible is true or it's not. Either the, the Mormon, Mormonism, which includes polygamy, either it's true or it's not. Right, right. Either that line is direct, okay, right, right. or... You know, either the, the Mormons are right or the Christians are right. Mm -hmm. You can't have it both it's ways. It's not both ways. It cannot be both ways. Well, we, we need to uh, hurry on. We're not even halfway done with your book yet. We've got others to do, and we, we are halfway through the show. So oh. we're going to take a break here and uh, show our viewers our ministry message, and then we'll be back and talk some more about um, Michael and Lynn Wilder's book and some other things that's on our minds to talk about. So right now we're going to break and and show you a message about our ministry. You are watching Polygamy, What Love Is This? Broadcasting live from Salt Lake City, Utah. This program is the broadcast outreach of A Shield and Refuge Ministry. 
Shield and Refuge is a point of first contact for Mormon fundamentalists who question the doctrines of the religion or who are actively seeking for an opportunity to escape the polygamist lifestyle. Examining the claims of fundamentalist doctrine against the backdrop of biblical truth is central to our efforts. We invite you to contact us. Call toll-free at 877-425-9993 or email us at tv at aboutpolygamy.com. You are welcome to join us in our monthly support group, Life After Polygamy, where you can meet others like yourself who are searching for answers about polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism. We meet monthly in the Salt Lake City area. For more details about time and place, call us toll-free at 877-425-9993 or email us at tv at aboutpolygamy.com. We want you to know that we've made available to you some outstanding resources free of charge. You will find them at our website, www.whatloveisthis.tv. There you will find the DVD, Lifting the Veil of Polygamy, which documents the real-life stories told firsthand of those who were lifted out of the culture of polygamy through the power and love of Jesus Christ. Also, free of charge to you is the booklet, Is Polygamy Biblical? It explores plural marriage in the context of God's Word and answers questions like, Did God ever command polygamy? Is it part of God's plan? While you are at our website, Make sure to take advantage of the archived episodes of this program, which can stream on demand directly to your computer. There are more than 100 shows to choose from. And if someone you know is unable to view this program via live broadcast, recommend that they visit this same website every Thursday at 8 p.m. Mountain Time to watch this show through live streaming video. Simply follow the links to the live streaming video page. If you are watching live tonight, we invite you to call us as we open our phone lines. The number is 801-973-TV20. That's 801-973-8820. Now, back to Polygamy, What Love Is This? with our host, Doris Hansen. Welcome back to our show. I'd like to remind all of our viewers that it is a pre-recorded show tonight. We're not taking telephone calls. Uh, if you do have any comments or questions that you would like to make as a result of our discussion, you can email them to us at tv at aboutpolygamy.com. Do not call in the station because we are not taking any telephone calls tonight since this is pre-recorded. Uh, our guest tonight is Michael Wilder, and we've been talking about uh, the book and some of the chapters in his book, uh, Seven Reasons Why We Left Mormonism. Of course, this includes discussions on the doctrines of polygamy as well and in the polygamy groups. We are on Chapter 3. Very quickly, we'll discuss some of the things that you've mentioned in Chapter 3, entitled, God is Progressing and So Are You. And on page 33 of that chapter, you said that you studied the Bible. As you studied the Bible, you became aware that the God of the Bible was not the God of Mormonism. What are some of the differences and why does it matter? Well, when we started really reading the Bible and we realized that the God of the Bible is much bigger than any God of Mormon. God has always been God. And it's so simple. You go back and read Isaiah, and he, you know, he states uh, the fact that uh, uh, you know, he's always been God from the beginning. 
And in Mormonism, it was actually taught to us that God has progressed to become God and that he's a God in a physical body. If you look in Doctrine and Covenants uh, 130, verse uh, 22, it says the Father has a body of flesh and bones as tangible as man's and also the Son. Mm -hmm. So it's defining, first of all, two gods. Mm -hmm. uh, and then it's putting a qualifier, a restriction on. Right. And again, God says, you know, my ways are not your ways. Don't, don't try to make me like a man. Mm -hmm. I made you. You can't make me. Right. And so right. I started seeing these, uh, these uh, uh, restrictions on God as nature. And, you know, uh, my wife, when she talked about John 1, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And Christ has always been with God. He's always, the, the Godhood, the Trinity's always been there. And where Mormonism, you, you have God, who was once a man, who mm -hmm. progressed to become God. Mm -hmm. uh, once he became God, he marries another physical lady, who's a God, and they... Uh, have a relationship and they have children mm -hmm. and those children and that's how they had Jesus Christ mm -hmm. and that's how they have Satan mm -hmm. and you know what's really interesting uh, not to get off tangent but here I am okay. uh, you, you take a God who has a physical body we just identified it here and you take his wife that has a physical body mm -hmm. and they have a relationship uh -huh. okay why do they have spirit children why don't they have little babies that have bodies of flesh and bones? I always wondered that. Well, do, aren't they in their spiritual bodies, whatever that means? Well, I mean, yeah, it, in the preexistence, you're born as spirit children uh -huh. of a heavenly father and a heavenly mother. Right. But your heavenly father has a body of flesh and bones. Your heavenly mother has a body of flesh and bones. Mm -hmm. But when they have children, they have spirit children only. I, it's just a thought. It is very, you know, well, so, it's very So confusing. some scholar out there can write in and explain that to me. I would appreciate that. But I really, <laughs> I really, you know, you, I could never figure that out. Well, in, in the Bible, again, we have to go back to the Bible for some clarity of this. In John 4, 24, Jesus said that God is a spirit. Right. He is spirit. That's his nature. And in Luke 24, 39, he says that a spirit does not have flesh and bones. That's correct. So God either does or he doesn't, but it's not both. Yeah. We have to worship God in spirit because mm -hmm. he is spirit. And truth. He's the invisible God, right. as, as Paul states. In, in other words, it's a different God than what Mormon is. And he has no beginning and he has no end. And he's... He's every place but nowhere. I mean, it's just, he's big. He's powerful. He is, he's big. Uh, we can't put qualifications on him. He has to be bigger and greater than, than, his than what he caused. And he caused creation. Right. And it's big and it's great and it's beautiful and it's huge. And man can't even measure it. So how could we measure God? Right, right. Because when, when God said, let there be light, when he spoke and the universe was created, he wasn't even in the universe. That's right. He's outside of it. He's outside. He's bigger than that. He's bigger than our universe. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about God dwelling in our hearts. We're going to talk about progressive revelation okay. right now. Okay. In Alma chapter 34, verse 36, it says that God, um, and this I know, because the Lord has said, He dwelleth not in unholy temples, but in the hearts of the righteous does he, doth He dwell. Right. Now, we'll go to Doctrine and Covenants 130, verse 3, where just the opposite. This is the progressive revelation part right. starts. Right. Doctrine and Covenants 130, verse 3 says, The idea that the Father and the Son dwell in a man's heart is an old sectarian notion and is false. 
So which is it? He can or he can't. He does or he doesn't. Right. And again, you know, it's in, it's in, you just go there and look it up. Doctrine and Covenants 130 verse 3. Uh-huh. And so God can't dwell in your heart. So when you have a testimony of the Book of Mormon and you feel good about it and you have his bosom burning in your bosom, what is that? Because it can't be God according to your own scriptures. Right. It's got to right. be coming from someplace and, else. And the Doctrine and Covenants 130 came after Alma. So that's the progressive revelation right, part. Right. So, so he doesn't. So yeah, is the Book of Mormon correct or is the Doctrine and Covenants? Well, the Doctrine and Covenants was written after the Book of Mormon. Right. So therefore it overrides the Book of Mormon. Okay. Just like uh, in the Book of Mormon where Jacob said it was an abomination when David and Solomon, chapter 2, practiced polygamy. Right. He said it was an abomination, period. Mm -hmm. No qualifier to it. Right. But then Doctrine and Covenants 132, verse 1, it specifically states that I, Jesus, justified my servants Solomon and David as well, having many wives and concubines. Polygamy. So right. I assume Doctrine and Covenants supersedes the Book of Mormon. So again, if there's a, um, not an apologist, I don't want an apologist to write, uh, and I don't, uh, because they have no authority to speak for the Mormon church, but if, if a, a general authority or something could write and explain these things to me, I, be, I would appreciate it would, that. It would be very interesting. And, and Mormon progression, the, the idea of progression started with polygamy and results in God, in, in being a, becoming right, a God. That's right, exactly right. how it began. And, and, you know, if you really want to extend this, we really don't have time to get into a whole lot of it, but the whole concept is that, you know, can we become gods? And, you know, now the, uh, on, on the LDS website, it says, no, you can't become gods. We really don't know. But then I pulled up an article from the LDS website called, You're Calling an Election Made Sure. Mm -hmm. And it says, you're calling an election make sure, made sure means of your assurance that you will receive godhood. That you can become a god, so absolutely. So one place on the they website, it. Mm -hmm. you know, in Mormonism 101, on their website it says, no, we, we really don't know about you becoming gods. But in another section, it states, yes, you can. And if you read Doctrine and Covenants 132, which the polygamous groups also exactly. believe, hold, absolutely. it states, because it, if, in the Bible it states, you know, about... Abraham was justified because of the faith, mm -hmm. but in the Book of Mormon, I mean, in the Doctrine and Covenant, says he was justified because he had many wives and concubines. Right, and all the early Mormon uh, prophets, they all taught that you could become God. And Joseph Smith said that we have got to learn how to become God's gods are, ourselves. Right. So it's all there. The, the Mormonism101.com lied you know, in and, their answers. And again, the fact is, you know, if, if that's not true, then the current prophet needs to come out and says, this is not true. And then Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, those people were wrong. Mm -hmm. That's all we. That's all. And we he need can to do say. that. He's a, he's the living prophet, so he could do that if he chose to do it. Okay, let's go to chapter four quickly. Faith and works equal Mormon and polygamous salvation. Now, this is an ongoing argument. It always has been between Mormonism and true Christianity, uh, biblical Christianity. The Bible is very clear that salvation or eternal life is not by works. But over and over and over again, the Mormons' argument is faith without works is dead. dead. Right. Can we really be clear about this? Well, it, there is no conflict between the writings of Paul and Ephesians and the writings of James, who was the brother That's of Christ. That's right, there's okay? not. There's mm -hmm. no conflict there because if you go back and truly read it, okay, what James is talking about, he say, 
he never ever states you are saved by your works. He's just saying you should show uh, some kind of evidence of your salvation mm -hmm. by being fruitful of your belief in Christ. Right. But but never right. your actions are 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 will save you. You right. can't do anything to save you. It's impossible. It's impossible. And Ephesians three ten or two ten. Ephesians chapter two verse eight and nine says we're saved by grace uh, through faith, not by works. And then verse ten says, and we are saved to do good works, works. which is James two seventeen. Right. But because you, if you claim to be saved, then show me your works. Right. James right. is saying. And also states in there, you shouldn't boast. Uh, you shouldn't boast, right. like Joseph you, Smith you know, you chose to boast. boast. But right. you're saved into works through your faith mm -hmm. to do the work of God. Because, to do the work. you know, in John it states that, uh, you know, uh, Jesus said, well, these are the works that you need to do. And it's quite simple, is to believe in him who God has sent. That's right. So our work, if we want to classify his work, is to believe in Jesus. Is to believe. And then once we become a new creation in Christ, or a new creature in the old King James Version, uh -huh. then we should start showing something different. Right. Um, There'll be but different the, works uh, in our life. But again, it's not the works that will save you. You're transformed and then you do the works. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And the LDS Bible Dictionary says, eternal life and exaltation is insufficient without total effort on the part of the recipient. Correct. Without total effort on the part, and yet the Bible says that's just the opposite. That flies in the face of Jesus on the cross, right? Because right. Jesus did our works for us. He died for our sins. He paid our price. He said it is finished, and they turn around and say, "No, we have to have total yeah. effort to get yeah. it." Yeah, and again, when I say correct, that's what they were saying. That mm -hmm. they implied, you know, this is what it is to be. And again, it's it's very arrogant of men, and I, I put myself in that category. Um, you know, I, I used to be a very religious man. I used to be what I called a righteous man. I followed the commandments. I did all these wonderful things until I truly read the words in the Bible and it broke me to realize that I'm a sinner. So today I am not a religious man, mm -hmm. okay? I do not follow the commandments because I'm incapable of following right. the commandments, we okay? We are incapable. And, you know, I am a sinner. But the good news is in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of glory to God, including myself, mm -hmm. including everybody out there. Everyone. But being freely justified by the redemption of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, And, exactly. and you know... Christ has justified through his atonement on the cross, his blood, by him absorbing all of our sins, past, present, and future, and saying, you know, putting no works to it, saying, all you do, believe in me, believe that I had been risen from the dead, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. Believe in God who has sent me, and that's it. You're saved. And to try to work yourself there is an insult to God. Because mm -hmm. if it's a gift, it it's a gift. It's right. And Second Nephi, of course, tells us that, um, chapter 25, verse 23, that we're saved after all we can do, after all we can do. And what they're trying to do is combine grace and works by doing that. But in Romans 11, verses 5 and 6, it says, So too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace, and if by grace, then it is no longer by works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. Right. It can't be. 
by grace after all we can do. It cannot be. No, no. I mean, you should want to do all the things. But again, you know, for our dear Mormons, brothers and sisters out there, you have to understand that we're not making it cheap grace. Right. Okay. It's not that, well, now that Brother Wilder is, is, a, is a Christian, he lives like the devil. Uh, no, mm -mm. no, I, I, I still make mistakes. I still sin. But by accepting Christ and believing in his words and trying to do, you know, mm -hmm. but it's not my works that's saving me. Right, it's his blood. It, and it's, his, it's, his, it's his grace. It's, you know, grace is unmerited favor given unto us. Mm -hmm. You know, we haven't earned it. And so... Uh, don't ever use that word cheap grace That's around me Absolutely. because when somebody no. says it's cheap grace, you are regrading my Lord and Savior mm -hmm. because and it what wasn't he's done. Cheap. What he did on the cross it was, was not very, cheap. very expensive. It was a very high price that he had to pay for our salvation, for our eternal life. Chapter six, uh, marriage is eternal. That, of course, includes polygamy. On page 73, you quote Doctrine and Covenants, chapter 1, verse 30, what, where it is saying that the Mormon church is the only true and living church upon the face of the whole earth. Right. Now, at the time that this was written, the Mormon church was teaching that polygamy, Joseph Smith was believing that polygamy was the, the way for eternal life, to become a god, to earn exaltation in the celestial kingdom. Mormonism today doesn't recognize polygamy, so how can it still be the only true church? Well, the, the fact is, is that, um, um, you know, through their priesthood line, and they say, you know, by, by having an active prophet we can change, but the concept of polygamy, what people really need to understand, and Mormons even need to understand this, is that the practice of polygamy was stopped, but the belief in polygamy is still there, okay? Mm -hmm. In other words, have they unsealed Joseph Smith's 30-some wives? Have they unsealed, you know, Brigham Young's yeah. wives, right. okay? Right. Uh, President Hunter was sealed to two women uh -huh. when he died, yeah. okay? So that meant in the hereafter, he would have two wives. Right. Um, even today, as we speak on the show, there are three uh, Mormon apostles that are sealed to two women. Their first wife has died, mm -hmm. and I'm very sorry to hear that. But they resealed another lady, and my definition, when in Mormonism, and when you're sealed to somebody, you're married for that person in this life and in the hereafter. In the life. So right. if Elder Oaks is sealed to two women, then when he dies, he will have at least two women, mm -hmm. two wives. According to their belief, okay? exactly. And the other two apostles also. Uh, so it's, um, it, the belief is still there. They still believe in the practice of polygamy. And uh, I can't accept that. I, I, it wasn't taught to me when I joined the Mormon church. And, but, but if you read Doctrine and Covenants 132, it's there it's and eternal. it justifies. It's the it's eternal principle. Covenant. It's the new and everlasting covenant. I don't care what the apologists try to do. Right. It's stated in 132. It's talking about polygamy. And it's, it's quite interesting. If you go back and if you would read like a, uh, you know, like a, a New English version or an NIV version of the Bible, and mm -hmm. you would get the, the edition with red, you would see, flip through it, and you would see all the writings of the the. the, the uh, in, Christ speaking would be in red. In red ink, right. So if we did that in with Mormonism, okay, and we open up the Doctrine and Covenants and we open up to 132, the whole thing would be in it would red. Be in red writing. It would be bright red. So 
as Latter-day Saints, go back and read Doctrine and Covenant from beginning to end. Think of it, this is your Jesus mm -hmm. that wrote this to Joseph Smith. Read it and see if that really sounds like the Christ of the Bible. And that's a challenge yeah. uh, to, to somebody to do that. And again, I'm not doing this to be mean. I'm just doing this. These are things that cause me to start questioning. Like, yeah. is the Jesus of Mormonism the same as the biblical Jesus? And I came to the conclusion, he and you can read it in here. Different requirements. It's different, different, different terms of salvation. Right. Exactly. It's a different Jesus. And you know what? The Mormon church today... Um, is unrecognizable if you compared it to the Mormon church of the early days. The polygamy groups, and we've said this on the show a billion times, the polygamy groups actually reflect what Mormonism truly began to be, uh, and, and they, they remain basically the same way. Mormon, uh, uh, Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, John Taylor, Wilford Woodruff, uh, Joseph F. Smith, he, um, um, Heber J. Grant, none of them could be in the Mormon church today. Oh, and yet no, they were they, all prophets. Yeah, of the and church. they were all all practiced polygamy. Right. Okay. And you know, even even, you know, what did they do with their wives after 1890? I mean, what did they you know, snuck around and still lived with them? Yeah. Uh, so you have this revelation. You have three wives, or four wives, or five wives. This revelation comes. What what do you do with them now? And, and it, it's it's a sad story. It really is sad, and the fact is that people really believed Joseph Smith, and, and to really, and I, and I used to stand up there, and I would get tears in my eyes, and I was, you know, I would bear my testimony of the Book of Mormon, and that, that we have a living prophet today, and that, you know, you know, Joseph Smith is a prophet, until God brought me to the Bible, and you can't do it both ways. You can't do the, it both the ways. The LDS Church is so good at just having you read selected verses in the Bible. Mm -hmm. I would encourage everybody out there who's LDS or question, start in Matthew and start reading all the way through. And you get into Romans, you know, 5, yeah. 6, 7, 8, the meat of the, the gospel. Uh, you know, read Galatians and understand what's going on there. I mean, it, it's all Matthew, Luke, you know, it's, it's just it's amazing. Amazing what God will open up to you. Yeah. But take off your Mormon glasses. Yeah. You and you have to want the truth. You have to you have it, to have if a desire. If not, it'll just twist and, around. You know, it with me, there was a pride there. I mean, I was a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, which mm -hmm. is a I, I repent of that daily to think that I claim myself to be a high priest. There's only one high priest, mm -hmm. and it's not your state president. That's right. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus There's Christ. only one person that can mm -hmm. hold the Melchizedek priesthood. And if you read in Hebrews, it states that, and it's an unchangeable priesthood, and it can't be passed on. It it's only given to on. one person, that's Jesus that's Christ. Right. And you know, Mike, we're at the end of the show oh, again, so. and I think we didn't get covered everything, but we covered a lot, and I do appreciate very much you, you watching uh, being here and for you watching uh, what we had to say as we discussed his book. Ten books he'll give away free if you'll call in and ask for them. Uh, you know, our heart's desire as we do this show and our focus and our motives and our prayers, whether it's for the polygamy groups or for the mainline LDS church, are that the people would heed the words of Jesus and with ears to hear listen to the message of sin and righteousness and salvation and judgment. What you believe and what you teach is completely contrary to what the Jesus Christ of the Bible has taught and what he died for.
Romans chapter 10 verse 1 says, My heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. We say it this way, our heart's desire and prayer to God for the Mormons and for the polygamists is that they might be saved. They have a zeal for God but it's without knowledge. Their zeal is misplaced and it's misinformed and it's for the wrong God, the wrong Jesus and the wrong gospel. And trying to earn our salvation by works or by celestial marriage or anything else is like trying to teach a kangaroo to speak the English language. It can't be done. God does not accept a work salvation. All that He will accept are knees that are bowed to Him in humility, receiving His gift of eternal life offered 100% by grace and not by any works at all. Jesus said, judgment and eternal hell is real and we believe Him and hell has no exits. That means that we need to speak up and speak up clearly and speak faithfully to our viewers. And that's what we do on this show. We're not here to offend you. We're here to speak the truth from the Bible and try to urge you to go in there and search it out for yourself, as our guest has said. The Bible says that those who do not love the truth will not be saved. They will perish. We urge you to take Jesus at His word and believe that He tells the truth. Trust no one for guidance into eternity except Jesus Christ alone. He's been there. He created it. And He alone can be trusted. Good night. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.